0: How many of you have, have come from um, a background where, uh, th- that you would describe as a reformed? The vast majority of your life, you would say you have come from a reformed background. Okay, so there's a good chunk of you. Um, this morning, what we are going to be talking about specifically in Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 13, is the Lord's Supper as we see it in the Passover. For me, in walking through all this stuff this, this past week in preparation, this has been a one of those kind of eye opening, technicolored kind of weeks of being able to see what was going on in Exodus chapter 12 and how it translates and informs our understanding of our New Testament life in Christ. So uh, I want to encourage you. Um, Follow along with me, and then next week, uh, as we kind of get this uh, eye-opening understanding of what the Passover and communion, the Lord's Supper, look like together, how one informs the other and really kind of magnifies the other, I want you to be thinking next week, who is it that you want to encourage to, to come along with? We should be a community of, of bringers and takers saying, hey, come, I, I, I have got the best news out there. It should start in your own family's life, your own personal conversations but this is the family of God. What a, what better place to show people what it looks like to be part of the family than to bring them to the family. So I want to encourage you next week, it is really going to take it to another level um, of richness, of power, so I really want to encourage, who is it that you would encourage you would bring along next week uh, for this message. But for now, Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 13. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It is to be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their fathers' houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each uh, each can eat, you shall take. Make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You, you, make it, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentils of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted roasted on the fire, with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, But roasted, its head with its legs parts, and you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray for a blessing on his holy word. Father God, I pray that as we walk through this, our eyes will be opened to uh, how you have woven all things together for our good. Will you give us a richer, more a beautiful appreciation for the Lord's Supper, what we participate in each and every week. Lord, may we understand what it is that you desire for us to know. And Lord, I pray that if there are any of us this morning who do not understand the power of the gospel, the work of Jesus Christ, the perfect Passover lamb, that your spirit will change their heart, enlighten it, and make it new this morning. Use your words this morning, Lord, to change our hearts by the power of the Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. So the purpose of a memorial is twofold. If you, When I say the word memorial, I, I want you to think about uh, the 9-11 memorial. What happened on on that September day. I remember exactly where I was. I don't know if many of you remember where you are, where those planes hit the World Trade Center. I remember exactly where I was. And I remember having a a classroom of fifth graders. And the fear that was in my heart, along with the fear that was in their heart as they started hearing, and then all the phone calls that started coming in from parents of the fear that they had that the same thing might be happening here in Chicago Land. You, ne- you never know. Are the terrorists going to be doing, executing some kind of uh, terrible judgment on Chicago as well? Are they going to feel that? And the fear that went through our hearts. That's a memorial. There's also something I wear on my, my left hand, my ring finger is a memorial it serves a purpose for for all who see it including myself on a daily basis it's a reminder that on one day i stood before god family and friends with my wife soon to be wife and made a vow and from that point forward my whole life there's a memorial on my hand, a constant reminder. The purpose of the memorials are, are two, twofold. The first is designed to, to mark a very important moment that took place in time in history. There are some events in life, whether personal, national, or global, that instantly change everything. our our lives were totally changed. And we remember that day still in our hearts and in our memories of what took place, and it changed everything. It's appropriate to mark these life-defining moments with some kind of symbol. Significant moments warrant public recognition. But there's another reason for memorials. Human beings like you and me are very, very quick to forget the past, aren't we? Including just vital lessons, the sacrifices, and the messages of the moment. So in the, sec- the second reason that we set up memorials is in order to help the coming generations remember. Remember these life-defining and history-changing moments. And sometimes you will even find the words on these, mor- these memorials, never forget. Never forget, a life-defining or a nationally-defining moment is so important that it would be tragic or even worse, it would be dangerous to neglect the lessons or not to understand how a particular is connected to the present. When it comes to the Bible, you could think of these moments as historical, redemptive events. Historical redemptive events. They they are events that have a historical context that God revealed to his particular people through particular moments. God is communicating in the past, in time, in place, something to a particular people through particular events. But they're also redemptive in, in that they are part of a greater story of redemption. They're connected. And these events reveal God's plan and shape our understanding of the gospel. Today, in our, our walk through these 13 verses, we come to what is probably one of the most significant moments in Israel's history, and what has one of the most clear parallels in the New Testament. Throughout our journey of, of the Old te- or of the, in this book, we have observed fundamental ideas that help shape our understanding of the New Testament, right? But chapter 12 will likely be the greatest greatest, and one of the most obvious. God's deliverance of his people by passing over them due to the blood that was on their door, due to the blood of a lamb is a defining moment for the people of God. But it will also be one of the most obvious foreshadowing of what will happen in the New Testament, right? With the death of Jesus Christ. It's It's a beautiful picture that needs to be remembered of what took place to these particular people. But there's a redemptive piece that takes place in the New Testament that is far more powerful, far more beautiful, and far more explosive for us when we understand it. The memorial meal connected with this event will be the meal that Jesus will celebrate with his disciples just before he dies. And the Passover meal will become what we know as the Lord's Supper or communion. Both the Lord's Supper and the Passover are memorials, although the Lord's Supper is far more than just a memorial. Hear me say that. But my focus this morning is going to be on the memorial aspect of the Lord's Supper. As Reformed folk, we believe that the Lord's Supper is a God-given way for for us to actually experience in and participate in a true, real, spiritual eating of the glorified Christ with the result of, of an increased spiritual joy, strength, and growth in the likeness of Christ. When, when, we, when we come together, it's not just, oh, do you remember when Jesus died? Or, it, it's more than that. Christ is feeding us, and we are consuming him in a way that is real and that will only increase in joy and strength in Christ. We're not taking a Catholic view where we are saying, man, you are literally eating the body of Christ. That it, it changes we're not saying taking the Lutheran view of consubstantiation, which says that Christ is in, of, in, above, and around the elements. But what we are saying is when we, as Reformed folk, come together and we enjoy the Lord's Supper, Christ's presence is feeding us. We are enjoying Him. But this morning, we are going to focus specifically in on the Lord's Supper, and Passover as memorials. It's a memorial in which we remember by reenactment. Both celebrations are designed to take us into life-changing moments of God's deliverance. In Exodus, the moment involved a lamb. In the New Testament, it involved the Son of God, who is known as the Lamb of God. What I would like you to do today is to invite you into Exodus and see the roots of what we celebrate when we participate in the Lord's Supper. And by looking specifically at the Passover, I think we can gain a better understanding, a better appreciation, a better love for what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. So chapter 12, is loaded in these in these 13 verses it is loaded with redemptive characteristics regarding the Passover which will have a direct connection to the Lord's Supper in the New Testament so here's 10 in 13 verses first of all it was a life defining event verses 1 and 2 uh, identified that the Passover the and the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, which we'll come to next week, was the most important celebration for the people of, of Israel to be observed for the entire year. It was the most important thing. In fact, it was so important that God instructed Israel to begin their new calendar year with what? The Passover, right? It was to be started. Everything changed from Exodus From the Passover, your year shall start with this. From that moment on, they would start each year remembering and reenacting this moment. Exodus and Passover were in some sorts a rebirth of God's people. From this moment on, they would be known as the people whom God had delivered. And this deliverance was foundational to their relationship with God. It was the basis for everything else. They are now the people of God in the preamble to the Ten Commandments. It starts with this. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of, the le- out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. This is, this is defining my relationship. Everything about the future would be marked by this moment when God passed over them. Everything. Therefore, it is important that they never forget what God has done for them. Verses 24 and 27 lay this out explicitly. and We haven't gotten there, but it lays it out. Do not forget, because it says this. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons for how long? Forever. Observe this forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, You shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For as he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the the Egyptians but spared our houses, And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Very strict instructions that you are to observe this. Is it any wonder that when the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ took place, it took place around the celebration of the Passover, and he also used the Passover as a means, the basis for the Lord's Supper. The, the Apostle Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 lays out this meaning of this moment. He says this in verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also as he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup in the new covenant in my, is, my, is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And what is celebrated in the Lord's Supper is equally life-defining. The death of Jesus Christ and the deliverance from slavery of sin becomes the most important transformative moment in a person's life. It marks him or her forever. It is a life defining moment, and if it's not a life-defining moment where you all of a sudden say yes to Jesus, th- th- that it defines everything about you, something is off. Something is drastically off. Running to Christ changes everything. Everything. It means that a person has been brought from darkness to light from judgment to forgiveness, from guilt to acceptance, from bondage to freedom, from despair to hope. We celebrate, as the Israelites did, the moment that changed everything. So that's the first thing. It was a life-defining moment. Secondly, it involved a sacrificial lamb. The next aspect is huge. Verses 3 to 6 tell us that on the 10th day of the month, a lamb from every household was to be selected for a sacrifice. If a household was too small for the consumption of the lamb, they were to be good neighbors and have a lamb together, share a lamb together, but I'll get more on that later. But they were to do it together. The point was simply that every household was to be represented by a lamb. Every household. The lamb also had to be special, and it had to be killed. Verse 5 identifies that the lamb had to be a male. It had to be a year old, and it had to be without any blemish. It had to be perfect. The people were to give God the best of what they had, the absolute best, not the worst. Does that also kind of inform how we come to worship? Does that also involve how we give of our time, our talent, and our treasure, we give back to God the absolute best that we have. Not our leftovers, not our spare, but our best. That doesn't mean when you come to church, you should just be giving your best. That means your entire life should be won. I digress, so keep on going. So on, verse, uh, on the 14th day of the month, the lamb from every household had to be killed at twilight. For us, twilight is about 8.23, 8.24 at night. So can you imagine that lamb, a lamb from every household had to be killed at twilight at the same time. And we're going to see in a moment that this lamb will become the central figure and the symbol for the Passover meal. Its sacrifice meant deliverance and protection from, gov- from judgment. Protection. For the rest of Israel's history, the idea of deliverance through a lamb was going to be a central aspect of their understanding of God and atonement, covering over. Eventually, a lamb would be sacrificed every morning and every evening at the tabernacle worship. So it's very significant that Jesus is connected to this sacrifice. Consider the following. John the Baptist said this when he saw Jesus coming for his baptism. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world from John 1. Or Peter said that we are from Peter 1, 1 Peter 1, that we are redeemed with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Jesus is connected there again. Paul calls Christ our Passover lamb, that has been sacrificed in 1 Corinthians 5. And then John's revelation, in, in John's vision in Revelation, Jesus is the lamb who had been slain. The parallels between Jesus and the Passover lamb are absolutely compelling. It goes one step further. The third aspect is its sign was blood. This is probably one of the most important aspects of the Passover meal. And that is that what happened with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. Verse 7 tells us that the people were instructed to smear some of the blood on the door frames of of the house. Verse 22 says that they were to take a bunch of hyssop, a a multi-branched plant that would be used as a brush. And they would apply that blood and no one from that point forward, was allowed to leave that household. Blood smeared, you stay. The sign of blood was to be an external mark, indicating that the household had obeyed God's command and that the sacrificial lamb had been killed. Blood was a sign. It set the household apart from the rest of Egypt. But who is the sign really for? Was it for God? Was a sign for God? Was it a God going, oh, man, what is mine going to be my reminder that these people are good and these people are going to face judgment? What's going to be my reminder? Should I Too many post-it notes, you know, do I put post-it notes on each one? No, God did not need the sign of blood. He knew the hearts of his people Ultimately, the sign of blood was really for the Israelites. It was designed to make a connection for them between their own lives and the blood of another. They needed the connection, the reminder to say, my sin, my life, and the blood of another. They were marked not only by the Passover, God passing over, but they were also marked by the blood. Again, the parallels to the New Testament and the Lord's Supper are obvious. In Luke chapter 22, verse 20, these words of Jesus as he celebrated uh, the Passover are this. This cup was poured out for you in the new covenant in my blood. Blood. And as we celebrate in the Lord's table, what we celebrate is the redemption of, through his blood. In him we have redemption. Through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of his grace. That's in Ephesians 1. We have redemption through his blood. Blood marks the soul of God. Both in Exodus and in the New Testament. Fourthly, it was observed together. Observed together. Verse 6 makes a statement that you might quickly overlook. It says, when the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill their lives at twilight. It, the whole assembly was to do it all at one time. It might be, seem very obvious, but it's worth noting that although this celebration was something that happened in individual homes it was also a communal activity it was something that everybody did together the kind of sacrifice the day of the sacrifice and the even the time were clearly defined because the passover was designed to be a corporate event it was a memorial that was to be observed together That's why we don't say, just go home and observe the Lord's Supper by yourself. It is meant to be done together. That's why we baptize together. We baptize children. We baptize new believers together. Because it is to be a corporate event for the whole family. We are not individualized. We don't take an American view of, hey, this is just for you. You go do whatever you want to. It is a corporate event that we do together we are the body of christ and we are not separated it marks out the people of god as much as saved individuals and families it marks us out together it's important to know because there are some clear elements of this in the new testament regarding the lord's supper paul gave some instructions in first corinthians eleven. In large part because they were misusing. They were abusing. They were not conducting themselves in a considerate manner towards other people. They were approaching the Lord's table with no regard for the connection between one another. Their self-focus was apparent even in the way that they celebrated such a glorious event. The Lord's table, like Passover, is designed to be a corporate event. It is an event that unites us under the banner of the Lamb who was slain for us. Both events were meant to be observed together in community. Fifthly, it was personal. An interesting aspect and an instructing aspect of this event is that the sacrificial lamb was not only killed, but the less talked about part is not only was it killed, it was completely eaten or consumed, right? Completely. Verse 8 gives this instruction. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. We don't have the time today to fully unpack the significance of the unleavened bread. We'll, we'll, we'll cover that more in, in chapter 13. And, but what I do want to do is highlight the significance of the combination of both a sacrifice and a meal into the same event. The lamb was used to cover the household in blood, but it also became food for each and every individual in that household. The lamb was sacrificed, but it was also personal. Very personal. Every person in that home ate of the lamb. They consumed it. And in that way, the Passover was very personal. One did not sit by and just watch the sacrifice from a distance or merely just passively observe it. This sacrifice was intimate, close, personal. Understanding this, will help you make sense of what seems to be an obscure, strange statement by Jesus when he says this in John six fifty three. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. Jesus is saying, I I, I am that sacrificial lamb. And you need to consume me. Everything about me, all my words, all my actions, all all who I am, consume me. Because if you do not personally consume me, apart from me, you have absolutely no life. When you understand that Jesus is referring to the personal nature of, of the Passover, and that he is connecting himself to this great redemptive event, his statement makes absolute perfect sense. But I want to be clear. It is the elements of the Passover or the Lord's Supper that were created, that create salvation, right? When you eat the bread and drink the cup, they do not create salvation in any way. Both the Passover and the Lord's Supper were memorials of a person's faith in God's ability to deliver him or her. My faith in what God said is absolutely true, and I consume that, and I believe that. They're received by faith. A person's personal participation in the memorial is meant to remind us about the personal Participation in the event which is pictured. In the New Testament, it is about personally receiving Christ. Six, the sacrifice was absolutely sufficient. Verse 9 through 10 gives very specific guidelines for how the lamb was to be cooked and that there should be absolutely nothing left over. The entire lamb was to be consumed by the people or by the fire. What is this all about? Why, why is God very clear about these commands, about how to cook it, how to eat it, and what to do with leftovers? I'll tell you what to do with leftovers. God said, throw them in the fire, be done with them. You should be satisfied with the meal that's right there. God has the exact same mentality as I do. Sorry, God. And sorry, honey. Uh, there, there's a number of possibilities about why God said this, including nothing should be left, none of the leftovers should become putrid or rotten if left behind. Uh, it could also mean that they weren't allowed to take any leftovers for the journey. But it seems that the overall point of this command is simply that the entire lamb Was to be consumed. Entire lamb. The lamb was to be. Absolutely all sufficient. For the blood covering. And for their meal. They needed nothing more. They needed nothing less. God. Provided. All. That you need. In the same way Jesus was personally consumed. He became sin for us. And his sacrifice was entirely sufficient for us. even have it in Hebrews 9, 12. He entered once for all into the holy places. Not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus' sacrifice was sufficient for totally sufficient for you and me his sacrifice was enough there was nothing more needed for you or me we don't have to add anything we don't have to carry anything along his sacrifice is enough for you there's nothing more that you need to add or bring along to make your salvation stick god said listen the blood of my son the blood of this lamb of god And all that he is, is sufficient for you. Quit adding. Quit bringing along. It is enough. But it was also eaten in anticipation. It was also eaten in anticipation. One of the hallmarks of this celebration was the way in which the people were to eat it. Did you notice the instructions about how they were to dress? What is that about? Another, like, okay, now you're going to tell me how to eat a meal? Not just how to eat the food, but how to dress in the meal? That's kind of crazy. The very specific instructions were given, were given regarding what the people were to wear as they celebrated the Lord's Supper were for a reason. In this manner, you shall eat it. How? With your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. Some of you do really well with that. Some of you are really slow eaters. But God says, eat it fast. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So he's giving instructions. This is my meal. I am telling you how to eat this meal. Everything about this instruction is meant to communicate the same thing. The people are planning on leaving Egypt, right? They're planning on leaving. The belt, the sandals, the staff are the kind of apparel you would wear in that time when you are traveling, when you are about to leave. You get your belt tightened on, you got your sandals on, you got your staff for walking, we are taking a trip. We're getting out of here. Therefore, the meal was not an end in itself. It marked the beginning of a journey. The beginning of a journey. And as they ate, they anticipated a Future deliverance. At the end of the Passover meal, Jesus said to his disciples, this. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my new, in my Father's kingdom. There's that even in there, that anticipation that Jesus is saying. Future total deliverance is coming someday. I'm not going to consume this again until that day that we're looking forward to. And the Apostle Paul, talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper, said this, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim what? The Lord's death until he comes. There's that look. Every time we eat and drink, we are proclaiming that one day, we're anticipating that one day when everything on the other end of glory, when everything is going to be right. Yes! Come, Lord Jesus! And we're eating this in anticipation of that. Like the Passover, the Lord's Supper is an event that anticipates something more. We eat while looking for Jesus to come again. Eight. It celebrated protection from, from judgment. The blood on the doorposts saved them from the wrath of God's judgment. The blood gave them safety, and it gave them deliverance. They were spared by blood. We don't like talking about blood much, do we? Some of us get queasy about it. Just even the thought of this. Okay, you want me to personally kill this lamb, and you want me to put it on a spit. you want me to eat the whole thing, and then you want me to also smear it on the doorpost? Nasty. But this is clear. The blood gave them protection. It spared them from God's wrath. Verses 12 through 13 was an ominous, was, was very ominous, and a bit frightening if you listen to how it's worded. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, And I will strike all firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on the gods of Egypt, I will execute my judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will befall befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God was coming in judgment. This is it. And the only protection from the final plague, the death of the firstborn, was the faith-applied blood on the doorposts. The sacrificial blood of the Lamb became the means by which they were saved from God's judgment. Without the blood, they would not be spared. The Passover celebrated this protection through blood. The Lord's Supper celebrates another protection from judgment. The cup celebrates the shedding of Christ's blood so that we can be made right with God and spared from our future sins and our current sins and the judgment of sins. We celebrate Christ's blood. Romans 9, 5, 9 captures the essence of this truth beautifully. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Exodus invites you to see Jesus as the firstborn son of And the Lamb of God. Who can cause the judgment of God to pass over you. The invitation is to run inside the blood covered house. Which is Christ. For forgiveness. Christ saves us from judgment. Number nine. It became a memorial for future generations. Remember remember reason number one for having memorials in the first place? Is to be sure that people in future generations do not forget what has been done. I, I love the fact that every week we come forward and we've got kids watching. Why can't I take this? Why, why can't I? What, Mom, why can't I do this? Dad, why can't, why can't I just have, have some bread and have some juice? That's all it is, bread and juice. No, 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 no. It's a memorial that is set in place. It is to be sure that the people in the future generations don't forget, that our kids don't forget, that they know about what God has done. Such a life-defining moment warrants protection. From future neglect and forgetfulness. In verse 14, we see that the Passover was to be a memorial day throughout your generations as a statute forever. Verses 24 through 27, it is anticipated that future generations will ask about this. They're, they're going to ask, What do you mean by this service? And are you able to give a good answer? every time that we come forward and receive the body of Christ broken for you. Thanks be to God. The blood of Christ poured out for you. Amen. Can you explain to your children why we do what we do? Here, especially when they came to the promised land, this memorial will remind them of how they came to this land of such rich blessing. It will remind them about what really defines them. When Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper, he had six important words that are often etched into communion tables. Those words are, do this in remembrance of me. I remember that. It's... A Calvary Christian Reformed Church, kind of this color wood, it's a great big, huge communion table would be set up about quarterly, and it had etched into it in this kind of gothic script, do this in remembrance of me. I don't know if many of you remember those kind of things, those visible signs, but we do this in remembrance of me. We celebrate the Lord's Supper because, like Israel, we can forget It's not that we forget totally, right? But we can easily develop a mindset that doesn't place the right value on what should be the most defining moment in our life. We do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. We remember again what defines us. The blood that was shed, therefore God's wrath was passed over us. Thanks be to God. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for doing this. We do this in remembrance. Therefore, it is good for us to remember by reenactment. But here's the last one. It was filled with faith. The final characteristic of this memorial is is the role of faith in it. Verses 28 through 29 tell us that when they heard Moses' instructions, the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This is one of the most odd pieces for me. These people had gone through 430 years of slavery. And then just immense persecution, genocide, and on top of that, they witnessed nine consecutive plagues, where sometimes they were affected, and sometimes it was just Egypt. And they felt the pain of this constantly, I would be totally hopeful. I'll be honest with you, 430 years, and now, Moses, you are coming to me and saying, listen, this is what we're going to do. I know you're poor. I know there's, uh, you are a very small people when it comes to military strength compared to Egypt, but what I want you to do is we're going to start a new calendar year, and it's going to be defined by you picking out a perfect lamb and I want you to butcher it, apply blood, and then after that, I want you to eat it totally and dress this way. If I would be hearing that, I'd go, you are so Are you serious? You want me to do what? But how did they respond? They responded well, by bowing down and worshiping. This is quite a change from the behavior of Pharaoh who continually hardened his heart, right? The people of Israel heard Moses' instructions, believed, believed with all their heart that God was coming to deliver them, and in faith they sacrificed the lamb and they put the blood on the doorpost. They believed with all their heart this is going to be true. Yes! Yes! God, our deliverer, the great I am, is coming to save us. Their faith or their belief in the word of God through Moses is what led them to apply the blood to their doorpost. And that faith represented by the visible blood is what caused them to be passed over. It wasn't so much a ritual that they did it. It was was their faith, their belief in the Word of God through Moses, that they bowed their head and they worshipped, they believed and they received by faith, that this God, what He said to be true, is going to come true. Therefore, by faith, I believe you have been saved by grace through faith. Faith in whom? Christ alone saved by grace again we see this beautiful picture here in Egypt they were saved by grace through faith in a lamb how much more powerful is it for us we've been saved by grace through faith in the son of God the perfect spotless lamb applied blood was only a sign of applied faith Douglas Stewart, in his commentary, captures the meaning so well. He says this, The blood on the doorpost showed showed acceptance of God's plan for rescue and trust in his word. After all, the sight of dry blood by itself had no power to deter death. It was only as the dry blood painted on the top in the sides of the door was a testimony to the faith of the inhabitants in Yahweh that it had its efficacy when I see the blood I will pass over you in other words I will spare all those who show they have placed faith in blood was just a symbol but it was a dynamic symbol identifying something beyond itself so in the same way the Lord's Supper is merely symbols there's nothing supernatural about the bread or the juice I don't have to spank- sing a special song in the key of C making the bread become the body of Christ or do anything special with the uh, the cup that makes it become the blood of Christ, there's nothing special about them. They merely represent something powerful and transforming. They serve as a memorial of what it means to place one's faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ Christ, who offered up physically, this is my body for you. And redemptively, this is the blood of the new covenant. And faith is still involved in this meal together as well. It is not the kind of faith that trusts in the elements as means of salvation, but the kind of faith that trusts the Savior that it represents. The Lord invites us to remember, to reenact, and reflect as the Passover did for Israel. As I told you, as I studied this, I kind of became a little overwhelmed. I don't know where you're at with it, but the parallels between Exodus and the New Testament are overwhelming for me. Between the Passover and the Lord's table, memorials like this are designed to help us think beyond ourselves. And with that in mind, I'm going to ask you some questions that I really want you to consider. Think about this. One. And be honest. Has your life been marked forever? Has your life been marked forever by putting your faith in the atonement offered through Jesus Christ? Are you safe from the deserved judgment of the Holy God? Second. If you truly have received Christ, are you really defined by this redemptive moment of being in Christ? Are you really defined by that? Or is it just a really great Sunday morning activity that you take part in? And this particular morning, out of the seven weeks, the seven days of the week, this day, this day, I am defined as a Christian because I sit in a congregation of other Christians. Or are you so defined by your faith moment that every moment of your life, every moment of your work life, every moment of your marriage, every moment of your raising kids, every moment of your checkbook, every moment of how you perceive yourself in this world is defined by being in Christ. Is that true for you? Does the gospel, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ affect your understanding of who you are? Does it affect the way you view your past, your values, your meaning in life? Does the gospel transform everything about you? Is the gospel the mark of your life? If not, maybe it's time to have a come to Jesus moment. And say, God, in faith, I receive your gift of mercy and grace found through the blood of Jesus Christ, poured out for for me. And I receive that today. Thirdly, do you need to be reminded in your promised land, your your state of salvation, do you need to be reminded whom you really are and where you came from? From where you came? Do you need to take a few minutes this morning and reflect on where you'd be today without the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Do you need to remember that? Fourthly, if you knew danger was coming, what would be your posture for people who didn't know? Think about that. If you knew danger, let's call it the wrath of God was coming. Would your posture towards other people change? What if you knew and never shared with them about how to avoid the impending coming storm? What do you need to say to the Lord about your passion to share this news with others? And lastly, what kind of gratitude, joy, and worship need to flow through your heart heart this morning as you consider all that God has done for you. You are standing in grace. If you are in Christ, you are standing in grace. You have been passed over what kind of gratitude, joy and worship needs to flow from your life. The Passover and the Lord's Supper both have the same aims. To remind us who we are. Remind us who God is. What He has done for us. And what this all really means. we're going to hear those words do this in remembrance of me we are given some very clear instructions about how we are to come that's why every week I fence the table and say if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ If you have not had the faith applied blood of Christ put upon you, if you have not received his gift of forgiveness and grace, you have not believed it, please do not come. 1 Corinthians 11, Paul also gave very stern warnings about how we, we come together. So if there is conflict, if there is backbiting, if there is pain, if there is discord in the body of Christ, it is to be made right and we are to seek reconciliation. Because if we do not, we're profaning what we believe in and what we say to be true. So maybe, I've done this way in the past, is some of you need to get up, go out, get on your, turn on your cell phone again because it should be off. Go outside and make a phone call. Hey, this is is Paul. I need to be honest with you. I need your forgiveness. I've talked about you this way. I've treated you this way. I need to be right. I need to believe the gospel again, that we are to be ministers of reconciliation because I have been reconciled with God. Will you forgive? And I'm going to tell you, we are all, in some way, unworthy recipients, aren't we? There's not one of us that is perfect or right. So I need you to examine your lives. But I need you also to come forward. And I need you to respond. Respond because grace has been given to you. So let's pray. Spend some moments in silent prayer. And then we will say those words together from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Together. Let's pray. Father God. We are only able to be here today because of your gifts. It's in your kindness, Lord, that you lead us to repentance. It's only because of your Spirit's work in our hearts and our lives and our minds that we are even able to see Christ for who He is and to receive all the benefits of Christ. So God, we we sit in awe of who you are and what you have done for us. So God, in these next few moments, stir in us all that is unholy, may we once again apply the blood of christ to that being assured of our forgiveness being assured again of our salvation and then god may we come with ready hearts filled with joy filled with worship ready to respond again to Jesus Christ, Lord, here's my life. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to Thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. May that be true of us this morning. So in these moments, Lord, hear our prayer. God, we thank you for your, your constant reminders of your grace. We thank you for th- the word of God and these redemptive historical moments that point us to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ with, where we can rest safely in the blood-covered house that is called Christ. God this morning may we run to you for every need that we have God may we run to you anticipating that future day where there's no more sorrow no more pain, no more death, no more sin no more suffering because we are standing being made right in your presence Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's say these words.